This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my, oh, we're almost matching today. We're almost matching co-host, <laughs> Free Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? We've talked about this. We yeah. have like, we share a mind in terms of clothing. And it's funny, I did notice you're wearing our, our matching t-shirt today. I got this. I got this. I got this. I feel like it is a morning where I had to get this because it's it's been stressful. I always think of the acronym NUTS. Remember, it stands for novelty, yes. uncertainty, and then I forget what TNS stands for. But this story only has to deal with uncertainty, so I don't have to remember those right now. <laughs> but it's like my son is sick, uh, like second day of school, and I had to figure out how to get him into minute clinic when there were no appointments available while juggling everything else I had to juggle. And I just... Just like it's dealing with that uncertainty. It just causes so much anxiety. Well, it does. I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty that we're still, I mean, I, I think we're all still in a little bit of post-traumatic stress from what's happened the last two years with like COVID. And then again, in our, in our case, our little bubble, mm -hmm. we've had COVID pop back in the last few, uh, the last week which I think has made things extra stressful. There's just been a lot of stuff that we have to constantly, it's like every time you start to think you can breathe, something else pops up. And I find like my reactions now to uncertainty are much stronger. And like, for instance, so I just refound that comic about how like, Husbands like take what they need and, you know, wives really don't. The peach. The yes. peach, the peach comic, uh, <laughs> which we could definitely put a link to in the show notes. But I was here juggling all these things while my, and I was literally crying, Brie. I was crying at the kitchen table this morning, trying to figure out how I was going to get everything done today and deal with getting a doctor's appointment for my kids. And I'm like, why am I the one dealing with all this stuff? And my husband just patted me on the back. He's like, are you okay? Okay, I'm going to go get coffee now. 
Oh, and he he's a wonderful wonderful guy and i don't fault him what whatsoever because he is taking care of what he needs to be calm throughout the day and i am here not setting the boundaries on my time very well yeah it's it's hard but it's also seeing like you know it's 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 seeing all those things so if you're going through that know that we're with you and uh our interview today with lisa damore is going to help you out with things in terms of anxiety and helping your kids through anxiety. So Lisa Damore, PhD, is a psychologist, author, co-host of Ask Lisa podcast, which actually premieres today, August 30th. Lisa specializes in untangling family life and is the mom to two teenagers. And we hope you enjoy our interview with Lisa. If laundry is one of those things on your to-do list that you just are not looking forward to, did you know you can outsource it, Brie? Yes, and it's amazing. And it's amazing. It's called Hamper, H-A-M-P-R. And literally, you go on an app, you tell somebody that your laundry is ready to be picked up, they come to your door to pick it up, and then you get it back 24 hours all nicely folded and ready to put away. It's like it's like the tooth fairy, but for adults. Yeah. It's a laundry fairy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You can go try out Hamper at noguiltmom.com forward slash. H-A-M-P-R. And don't forget our code of NOGUILT10 to get $10 off your annual membership. Now, on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible, and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome, Lisa, to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. It is such an honor to have you on. Uh, I've followed you for a while, and I'm super excited to get into this conversation about kids and mental health. So what are you seeing right now in terms of kids' mental health? Okay. So we're seeing a lot. (laughs) I will say that we are definitely dealing with the aftermath of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to be dealing with it for a long time. And what we're seeing is lots of kids came through just fine. Like that it was miserable while they were in it. And then as soon as they could get back to their lives, they were able to put things back in place, make up for some of the lost time with their friends and in many ways bounce back. And maybe ideally for those kids be more resilient than they would have been otherwise going forward because now they've been through so much and seen that they can endure so much. So maybe they, you know, for all the losses, for all the downsides, there may be an element where they are a bit strengthened by having endured this. So there's some kids like that. But then we're also seeing a lot of kids where they maybe were fragile prior to the pandemic, and then going through the pandemic really made life harder for them or exacerbated whatever they were struggling with. And then there are some kids where there really weren't any concerns on the radar for them prior to the pandemic, but they cropped up in the context of the pandemic. So an example of that would be a young person who developed an eating disorder in the pandemic, which we saw a huge spike in those for a variety of reasons. Oh yeah, that we can unpack. And eating disorders are no joke and recovering from an eating disorder is a lifelong process. And so the landscape is very broad in terms of what we're seeing for mental health. And the thing that's the most essential to say 
is that families that were already stressed or families that were already struggling with poverty or families that were already struggling with systemic challenges such as racism, that was all made much worse in the pandemic. So the pandemic, the stress of it was not distributed evenly across the culture. You know, that the people who were already suffering the most suffered more in the pandemic. And then of course there are the expectable mental health ramifications of that. So it's a big picture with a lot of variety in it. And I will tell you, I'm usually, I'm like very upbeat person, very forward looking, very, yeah. problem, you know, kind of like solution oriented. This is like, we, this has been grim clinically. I mean, like my cl clinical colleagues and I look at each other and I'm like, man, this is really not good. And it's way better than it was, but an honest accounting of what we've been through is that this is the hardest thing I've ever seen our culture deal with from a mental health perspective. It, yeah. It's been a lot like looking at it as a parent and what you mentioned is that it, how it hasn't been evenly distributed among society, how the people who are struggling with other issues before, um, how it's even bigger for them than it is with say the people who have more means at their disposal where they could deal with it better, where they could um, put like things in place, especially like getting kids to talk about it with counselors, having access to mental health resources. What are, what are some signs to look for in kids that uh, a child's struggling and they really need some extra help? Okay, I'm so glad you're asking because you know the downside of the pandemic is the pandemic, right? <laughs> like it's yes. all downside. The only upside that or thing, a thing that we could make a bit of an upside is now we're talking about mental health all the time, right? And we're talking about mental health in kids all the time, which as a psychologist, there's a part of me that's like, okay, like this is a conversation we've been needing to have and now we're having it. The first thing we can do though, to be most helpful to our own kids and to families is to talk about mental health in a way that is really accurate. And what I can tell you is that we came into the pandemic with a discourse around mental health that did not help us during the pandemic. And I don't want us to stick on that. So one of the ways of talking about mental health that had started to emerge prior to the pandemic, and that I really saw gain ground in the pandemic, was this idea that you're mentally healthy when you feel good when you feel mm. calm, when you feel relaxed, like that's evidence of mental health. No professional would ever agree to that definition. We have never been of the mind that there is some Zen state that you can get to and stay at, and that's your mental health. Like that is not a thing, but- I wish it I, was. I, I wish it was, sure. I wish it was. I was gonna also say just real quick, I love that you're saying that. Yes. Because I think without us ever verbalizing that, mm -hmm. like I, I agree, I would never say that, but in my head, I'm like, yeah, I guess I kind of do sort of think of it that way. And then you do beat yourself right. up when you're not yes. in that calm and Zen state. Yes. And, you know, not to be cynical, but like there's a giant wellness industry selling this idea yeah. that if you just, you know, have the right app or the right oil or do the right, you know, app or whatever, you could get to this state. Now, I have nothing against wellness. It can take the edge off. Like there's no question, right? It can help us to find some calm or some stress or some relief. But we are so hamstrung if we start with the assumption that you can get away from feeling distressed. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't before the pandemic. You sure as heck could not during the pandemic. No if magically the world snapped back to the way it was before, we'd still be in for plenty of distress on account of being human. So the first thing we need to say is, being distressed is part of 
being a person. It's definitely part of being a teenager. It's definitely part of being a kid. Like it's a done deal. Like that is here to stay. And what we want to focus on instead of thinking about, you know, my kid's in distress. Oh my gosh, I've got a mental health concern, which has definitely been the emerging equation that those of us on the professional side are like, no, no, no. What we want to say is, okay, mental health is two things. One is it's having feelings that make sense in their context. So those feelings may include feeling angry, anxious, sad, frightened, right? Mm -hmm. Our emotions, they're designed to be informational. They tell us how we're doing in the world. They're like our navigation system, right? So if I walk into a party and I'm a teenager and I get super anxious, that's good data <laughs> like we mm -hmm. to treat that as pathology. Like that's really helpful information. So number one is our emotions are healthy when they make sense in the context that is evidence of mental health, even if the emotions themselves are actually painful or uncomfortable or unwanted. Yeah. Where the rubber hits the road is on the second point, which is what do you do with that emotion? Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's where we can really start to get into the question of do we have a mental health concern? You know, do we need to intervene? Is something wrong? So back to the kid at the party, if the kid is like, I feel super anxious, I'm going to start drinking. Well, that's a concern. That is <laughs> right? a concern. That yeah. is a concern. Like it's how they're coping with the emotion. If the kid's like, I'm super anxious, I'm going to tell my friends I forgot that I have to be up early in the morning and I'm getting myself out of here. That's brilliant, right? That's exactly how we'd want that handled. And so my like mission in life right now is to really push forward this idea of mental health being not about the absence of distress that was never on the menu, mm -hmm. but to push forward the idea that mental health is about having the right feeling at the right time. It makes sense in the context you're in and managing that emotion effectively in a way that brings relief and does no harm, as opposed to a way that brings relief and does do harm. That's so and interesting. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Shout out to Clarendon for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick Trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. 
Hey all, it is Joanne. And Brie here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. I'd like to ask you about that party situation because a lot of how like I have been brought up is that uh, you shouldn't be shy in party mm -hmm. situations. You should be sociable with people. You should be outgoing. And so I see, especially the example of going into a party stress, like that was my whole life growing up that I was kind of forced to get through. And when we see kids kind of avoid those situations over and over and over again, based on those feelings, how could we help our kids through it so that they do eventually like get that confidence and able to work through it? I love that. So the party in my mind, and this was just in my mind and Ned didn't explain, is an out of control party. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. That's good. But no, but so, so we can be in <laughs> agreement that your kid should probably be like, I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> But you're asking like the most important question about a lot about how we come back, which is one of the ramifications of kids having such narrow lives and doing so much less is they have become more anxious in the context of new situations, in the context of social situations. And certainly if they were anxious before, it's worse. And the principle that is so huge here, and if I could take out billboards and like put this on highways, is that avoidance feeds anxiety. Mm -hmm. When we are frightened of something and it's something in the realm of what we should reasonably be able to handle, right? So handle being at a party with kids who are nice and not doing anything they're not supposed to be Playing doing. Playing some board games, exactly, bringing out the karaoke right? mics. Exactly, like <laughs> you know, handle going to, you know, take a class with, you know, kids you don't know and a teacher you've never engaged before. Like mm -hmm. there are things in life that are anxiety provoking that make us nervous when we do them for the first time. And I like using the word handle, like kids should be able to handle that because I'm not saying they should be able to love it. They should be able to enjoy it, be sure and confident. Like that's too high a bar, but they should be able to handle it. And what we find is when kids or adults come up against those kinds of situations and they get uneasy, the instinct is to avoid. The instinct is actually to be like, you know, I'm nervous. I'm going to listen to that cue and I'm going to stay home. And the problem with avoidance in the context of things that we should be able to engage that are in the range of reasonable expectations is that avoidance reinforces itself. It makes itself worse. It makes the anxiety worse. And it does it in two ways. One is 
if I'm thinking about this party and I start to get nervous and I think, forget it, I'm going to tell him I don't feel well, I'm not going, whatever anxiety I felt suddenly drains away. Like I feel instantly better, right? So right. we call that a reinforcing experience. And so then the next time I think about going to a party, I'm like, I know what feels better than going to parties, not going to parties. And so mm-hmm. I, yeah. the other problem is that whatever I pictured was going on at that party or whatever I imagined it would be like for me at that party, you know, and maybe I'm imagining I walk in and nobody talks to me or I walk in and people like ridicule my outfit or whatever, you know, anxiety driven daydream I have is completely unchallenged. Like it just, it gets to live without any competing data. Whereas if you actually go to the party, usually you're like, oh, there's someone I know and it's not so bad. And after 10 minutes, I'm okay. Right. So the thing we want to think about as we help kids with mental health and we help kids return to the world is if they are avoiding things that are in the range of what they should reasonably be expected to do for their age, participating in that avoidance, getting them out of it, telling them they don't have to do it is super loving and well-meaning and will actually make it worse. And so what we need to say is, what version of this can you do? Can you go to the party and I will run an errand nearby? And then if after 20 minutes, you really can't take it, I will swing by and get you. You tell your friends you forgot something and I'll come get you. Or you're scared about going out to this new class or you know working with this new teacher or being in a situation that's unfamiliar. Do you want us to go check out the room before you do it? Do you want like... The goal is to get that kid engaged, even in a really small way, because the cure for anxiety is exposure. Yes. I love that. You're giving like kids steps to kind of scaffold them and to give them like little ways to get out of the house where you're still supporting and kind of eventually letting go. Absolutely. I think that that's really important because another big thing that I think a lot of parents struggle with is what you're talking about. How do they figure out when to extract themselves from it? right? Like, okay, well, what if we go to this party and I stay with you? Mm-hmm. Or, and, and, and I realize for a teenager, that's going to be a, a no. <laughs> that's going to be a hard pass. <laughs> but for a kiddo that's like, um, you know, maybe 10, 11, like starting in that realm, they might still want their parent there. And again, as a, I guess what I'm getting at is, is that an appropriate, would that be a helpful suggestion as an option of like, what if I go with you? Or does that just make it so that your child is that much more, I need to have you with me? I can't do this on my own. Yeah, I think I think we would want to put a lot of options on the table and mm-hmm. have our child help us and say things like, what would it take for you to feel like you could go to this party, right? What would it take, you know? And, and it really may be, they may say, I just need to know that I can leave if I don't feel comfortable. Or I think I'd feel better if I actually had that kid over in the next week or so before the party. And then we spend some time together or, you know, and that kind of like really creative work that the parent and the child could do together to consider various options. And the metaphor we want to imagine is the party is a pool and you're trying to get your kid to wade into it. So what are all the versions of wade in that we can imagine and that are possible and probable, you know, to help things be better and then executing it right on something, even if it's tiny, Because even the tiniest amount of exposure, the tiniest amount of trying something is so much better than that kid saying, forget it, I'm not going. Yeah. Yeah. Does it help at all to talk with kids about what anxiety is and like what your body's reaction is to anxiety? It does because they too have gotten the inaccurate message that they're not supposed to have anxiety, Mm -hmm. that anxiety is always pathological. 
And then the ramifications of that are huge because what happens is a kid feels anxious and then they feel anxious about being anxious. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what we want is for them to be like, I'm anxious. What's the story? Like, why am I anxious? So we should say to kids, anxiety is a normal, healthy, protective emotion. If you show up at a party and it's out of control, I really hope you get anxious. If you have not done your homework and it's due tomorrow, I really hope you're feeling anxious, right? I mean, that there's it serves this function of, something's not right, something's off track, something's not okay. And then occasionally it's wrong. And so we may be thinking about, you know, they've been invited to a friend's birthday party. This is, you know, a really wonderful thing to get to go do. And your kid may be having enormous anxiety about that. That is when we start to make the distinction between healthy and unhealthy anxiety. So healthy anxiety makes sense in its context, right? you're anxious because somebody's swerving nearby while you're driving, right? Like that's, that's like, that's healthy anxiety. That's good. Unhealthy anxiety doesn't make sense, right? The party's not dangerous. The party's not a threat. These are kids you love. And so when we come up against unhealthy anxiety, I think at first it's helpful to make that distinction for kids. There's healthy anxiety and there's unhealthy anxiety. This is unhealthy because it doesn't fit the moment. Right. And then we give them the formula for getting it under control, which is in unhealthy anxiety, we are always overestimating the risk and underestimating our ability to manage the risk. Mm -hmm. So you say, okay, so I think you should be able to go to that party, right? This is your good buddy. It's going to be a lovely birthday party. What are you frightened of? And really ask it in earnest and have them lay out whatever risks they have conceived of. And often putting them into words because like, yeah, but that's not really going to (laughs) happen, you know? And then whatever remaining risks they articulate, say, okay, if that were to happen, what would you do, right? So not underestimating your ability to manage that situation. So the goal is not to get the kid totally relaxed and into a Zen state before they can show up at the party. Right. The goal is to get their anxiety into like this middle range where they're not overestimating how bad it's going to be or how you know threatening the situation is, and they're not underestimating their ability to manage even an uncomfortable situation. I like that about using using their feelings to become, of course, more aware of their surroundings, more aware of like dangers and risks that exist, as well as really encouraging them that they can handle a situation if it came up. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Sometimes out of this pandemic, I have seen kids... Some kids become really rigid in like what they want to do and what they expect to do. For instance, we have this issue at bedtime. My son is so, he's so concerned about getting enough sleep. And I love that. Like, I'm like, yeah, you put sleep as a priority. That's awesome. But he gets so concerned about it that he then has a really hard time falling asleep because he's like, I'm not asleep yet. I'm not going to get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you deal with younger kids when like their anxiety is really counterproductive to what's going to help them in the long run? So a useful place to start is to validate, right? Mm -hmm. To say, Mm -hmm. you know, I get it that you feel anxious. You know, you feel crummy in the morning if you haven't slept. And so I understand that you're feeling anxious about being able to fall asleep. And then you can say, but you and I both know that you getting anxious about being able to fall asleep is actually making it harder for you to fall asleep. We have that conversation every day. (laughs) And so then, and this is like really fun. Then you can say, let me teach you how anxiety works on your body. And let me teach you how to be in charge of your own anxiety. And one of my favorite things to do is to explain to kids the evolutionary roots of the anxiety response. So they are aware, a lot of them, of this idea of a fight or flight system. They are aware Mm -hmm. that their heart rate starts to accelerate, that their breathing gets tight. But what most kids don't know, and it's really useful to explain is, That accelerating heart rate, that um, sense of your breathing being quick and shallow or kind of feeling hyperventilating kind of sense, that is rooted in this idea that comes from when we were cave people, that if there's a threat, it's something like a tiger. And the thing we need to do to stay safe is to run from the tiger or attack the tiger. And so your body is pumping blood and getting a whole lot of oxygen into it because it still thinks you're a cave person because it's a super old part of your brain. And it's getting you ready to run or attack. Of course, your body doesn't know, the rest of your, this ancient part of your brain doesn't know, the threat is not a tiger, it's worry about sleep, but it has only one reaction and you're up against that reaction. So first explain the reasoning for why the body does what it does, because it feels out of control for kids when their heart is pump, pump, pumping. And to say, oh no, no, this like this cave person system that kicks in and it's got one reaction and it uses that reaction for everything, tests and nights that you're not sleeping and like annoying, you know, relatives who are coming too close, right? And like, <laughs> I'm immediately picturing that that purple guy from uh, Inside Out. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's all going to be awful. <laughs> Only one reaction. And so then what you say to them is, this is where breathing comes in. And again, like kids have heard about breathing. They know it's, they know it's supposed to help, but we very rarely give them the full biological rundown. And when you do, it makes a ton more sense. So what I say to kids is this ancient part of your brain tells your heart and lungs to go into overdrive. And it does because it's getting you ready. Like it's not, a, it's not a bad system. It's just doesn't make sense in the context. Now, what's incredible is that your lungs can also communicate back to your brain. Just like your brain can tell your lungs what to do, your lungs can give information back to your brain. 
And the way we think this happens is that the lungs have nerves on them that are stretch receptors. They can tell how full or empty or what the activity of the lungs are. And so when we deliberately breathe deeply and slowly, when we take big, slow breaths and you know really slow everything down, the nerves on the surface of our lungs recognize that something has changed, read that deep and blow slow, deep and slow breathing as evidence that we are now safe and message the brain accordingly. They're like, you can turn off the anxiety alarm. We are breathing deeply and slowly. There's no tiger. We can go to bed. And so, well, you've just encouraged me to do deep breathing too, Lisa, <laughs> because I've never had that explained to me. <laughs> and I, I, for years, I was like, oh, breathing, that is so wooey, unprofessional. Oh, I not- think that's like every teenager right there. Yeah. You just described every teenager yeah. when you tell them to breathe. <laughs> exactly. They're like, oh, there's actually this really funny um, headline in The Onion, you know, that satirical newspaper. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they use a swear word, which I won't use, but like, um, you know, man would rather have a four-hour panic attack than do that stupid breathing. <laughs> um, and then there's one more word, you know. And I was like, yeah, that's like every teenager, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But as soon as anyone of any age understands, like, this is not a wooey intervention. This is actually using a biological intervention to counter a biological response. They're on board. And then what's really cool is I'll say to kids, as you are doing your deep and slow breathing, picture those nerves picking up the new information and sending it up to your brain and you'll be able to get your body to calm down. So make it a technical thing, a biological thing. And and for a lot of kids, that will work. That I'm going to explain that tonight because, you know, my son's reaction of, because he does do breathing and he knows it helps, but sometimes when he gets so agitated, he does push back and he's like, breathing doesn't help me. (laughs) And you get that response. You're like, can I pull out the video of you two hours ago when the breathing helped, you know? Breathing helped, yeah. What uh, what are you excited for that's coming up for you, Lisa? Well, season three of Ask Lisa podcast, August 30th. That is exciting. Is our start. And I have to tell you, I, I, I began that podcast in the first fall of the pandemic in August, 2020, and had resisted the idea of having a podcast because I thought, oh, I don't need a podcast. I have all these other ways I'm communicating. And then in the pandemic, when things were so hard and changing so fast, it felt to me the only mechanism by which I could try to be of use on a weekly basis. And then my phenomenal colleague, Rena Nainen, who I know from the journalism world, um, was agreed to do it with me. And here we are in season three, and now we're not answering parenting questions about the pandemic very much anymore, but we're answering questions about, you know, do we really have to have sleepovers? And (sighs) how do I really talk to my kid about not smoking pot? And, you know, like all of these, you know, ongoing questions that are just so much part of family life. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that it's on its way. That is exciting. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us here. You have given me so much information. And can I just say like, you just have this calming presence. Like I am so calm <laughs> I, talking to you. Same. I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh, so. I need Lisa to be my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so honored that you invited me to join you. And thank you for having me with you today. I love talking to Lisa because she made such an impact in my life before we even got on with her. Like I was talking about how her tip about teenage girls, how they unload all of their problems onto moms in particular. And then once moms have the problem and are so stressed out, the teenage girls calm down. Like it saved me 
so much headache in my house when my daughter was going through that stage. I distinctly remember when you first read uh, her book, Untangled, mm-hmm. and telling me that you told all of us I told all everybody. about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. You have to read this. Yes. And I agree. Like, she she brings up things that you're like, of course, that totally makes sense. And it does make you feel better knowing like, hey, it's just not my kid mm-hmm. that does this. Like, it's a mother-daughter relationship. It's across the board, people. Yeah, I could say that's probably the theme of the whole interview. Like, it is not you. These feelings are normal. It's normal to feel anxious. It's normal to feel uh, uncertain and overwhelmed. And those are all really great opportunities for feedback from our body. Right, right. And I loved the practical tips that she gave on what you can do to work with it, especially about like talking to your kids about yeah. helpful versus, or what was it, healthy versus unhealthy anxiety. Yeah. Huge. Because I mean, like I've had, I mean, I've had anxiety. I have, I've been diagnosed with anxiety. I don't think it ever goes away. And having an understanding of exactly what's going on with your body and knowing that, okay, especially these past few weeks, like my anxiety has been very, very high. And I've been able to tell people around me, I'm like, you know what? I'm having headaches. I can't think of things. Right. I can't. My focus is completely gone. I'm having a really hard time with my anxiety. And thankfully, my husband in particular, he knows this and he's like, okay, well, what do you need from me? And being able to communicate that is huge when it comes to mental health for us and also like showing our kids that, hey, this is okay and we're dealing with this. And Yeah. And that not only dealing with it, but that growing from it, being able to work through it and still be able to do things well. Mm-hmm. I think that is a huge lesson that our kids need to see. And obviously, I'm I am with you on the anxiety train and so we're so is a lot of my family. Like that could be our tagline. We like anxiety. We like anxiety, <laughs> but I think it's so new for our generation in particular because we have oh, yeah. really embraced mental health and uh, we've embraced counseling and therapy, whereas like my parents, like it's still like, well, if you have a problem, go talk with a family member. And we're like, nope, not nope. doing that. <laughs> no, not, I'm not even, no comment. <laughs> so, so we hope you enjoyed our interview with Lisa. Uh, make sure to check out her Ask Lisa podcast. And until next time, remember the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.